Hey, what's up, family? And welcome to the Eagles Nest Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you soar in your faith, family, finances, friendships, and fitness. Get ready for today's message with Senior Pastor of Eagles Nest Church, Lee Jenkins. Well, how many of you are thankful? Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. If you are thankful for anything, well, if you have been with us over the last few weeks, you know we are in a series called Rich Folks. What does it mean to be rich? What does it mean to be materially rich, financially rich? What does it mean to be uh, relationally rich, as you're going to see? And then what does it mean to be spiritually rich? So we've been talking about rich folks. Well, who are rich folks? Rich folks are us. Uh, When you compare what we have to the wealth of the world, most of us in here are in the top 15% of the wealthiest people in the world. Whether we feel like it or not, we really are. And as I say, the Bible is not written just for Americans. When we read the Bible, you know, we shouldn't read it from an American um, lens. We have to read it from a biblical lens worldview as it relates to the entire world. So when you read in the Bible and it's talking about rich people, it's talking about us. I started off talking about the rich fool and how this guy was rich in earthly investments. He made some great investments and nothing is wrong with that. But then God called him a fool because he wasn't rich toward God. And then the week after that, I talked about Uh, rich sinners, poor saints. Uh, Why did Jesus make the statement that people of the world, people who don't follow Christ, oftentimes or more often than not, seem to handle their financial affairs better than people who do know the Lord? And the point of that message was the same way people of the world achieve their goals, where they they are giving it everything that they have, to make sure that they plan for their future. That's how we should be toward the kingdom. And then last week I talked about it's hard out there for the rich. (laughs) And that means uh, Jesus said it is hard for rich people to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Then I explained what he meant about that. Well, we have uh, another one for you today that I believe is going to be eye-opening. And uh, I'm excited about what God is going to do in your life today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you. We praise you. You are so worthy to be praised. So during this time of thanksgiving, Father, we pause and we give thanks to you. You said we should enter your courts with praise and your gates with thanksgiving. And so, Lord, we come to you right now saying thank you for being so good to us. Thank you, Lord, for giving us life, for giving us health, for dying on the cross for our sins so that we can be saved. So thank you for saving us, Lord. Thank you for changing us. Thank you for transforming our lives. And we ask you to do that again today through your word. May it cleanse us from head to toe. Speak to us, Lord. Change us. 
through your word. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable, Lord, in your sight. Do a work in us, Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. And amen. Let's give the Lord one more hand clap of praise, everybody. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We praise you. Well, I'm going to jump right into the message today. I'm going to be speaking to you from the subject, Lifestyles of the Rich and Faithful. Lifestyles of the Rich and Faithful. Many of you may remember the show from decades ago called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. How many of you all remember that show? Raise your hand, okay? It was a great show because it highlighted the extravagant lifestyles of uh, famous athletes and business moguls and entertainers. So we got an opportunity to look uh, into the uh, lives of people that we would read about or see on television. We got a chance to see what kind of cars they drove and what kind of furniture they had and, um, you know, all of that good stuff. And we could vicariously, uh, vicariously rather, live our lives through them. It was uh, one of the first shows to go behind the scenes of the lives of the wealthy. And then it spun off some other shows like uh, VH1, The Fabulous Life Of. And so that was more of a contemporary version of Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And then after VH1's The Fabulous Life Of, uh, MTV came out with another one called Cribs, where uh, people would show their homes and man, you could just, again, live vicariously through some of those people looking at all the stuff that rich people had. Well, today we're going to be, again, looking at rich people. We're going to be looking at some of the words from Apostle Paul to his protege, Timothy. Now, Timothy was a pastor in a city called Ephesus. And the Apostle Paul was an overseer of a lot of churches. So we would call Apostle Paul today uh, Bishop Paul, and we would call Timothy today Pastor Timothy. Well, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 through 16, uh, Paul writes to Timothy. To do that, you'll need to turn off airplane mode. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to turn off airplane mode, Siri. Boy, I tell you, this AI, man, this, this computer stuff, I have it on airplane mode for a reason, okay? And now, man, technology is just taking over, I tell you. Man, now my iPad is talking back to me. <laughs> iPad, you need to get saved. That's what you need to, okay? How about that, AI? How about that, Siri? Do you know Jesus? My God, that is amazing. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Those of you who are watching online, I don't know if you heard that, but Siri was talking to me during the, the sermon, uh, oh, whoever it is. 
So in verses uh, 1 through 16, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, the Apostle Paul gives his protege, Timothy, some sagacious, some wise advice about his church, the church that he was pastoring, that Timothy was pastoring. Sort of like many of my mentors, like Dr. Tony Evans and uh, Dr. Crawford Loritz and Dennis Rouse and Bishop, um, Courtney McBath, many people that I lean on, they give me advice about how to be an effective pastor. So there are a couple of things uh, over these 16 verses that Paul talks to Timothy about. He talks to them, him about servants. Uh, they call servants back in those days slaves, but they weren't slaves like the American slaves were. Uh, who were transported from Africa hundreds of years ago. That was not the kind of slavery they had in the Bible. Many times when you read the word slave or servants, they were, um, they were literally servants. And uh, it wasn't like, again, American slavery. Then he talked about false teachers. And then um, he talked about contentment. So the Apostle Paul is writing Timothy this letter, and he's talking about how to be content. And then he talked about money, and then he started talking about the love of money. And he talked about how the love of money, not money itself, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. He said, people will steal from their mother, people will rob from their brother. <laughs> okay, I just wanted, to, I was just testing you all. That's not the Apostle Paul, that's the OJs, okay? <laughs> I was just testing you. I was just going to see who's going to say amen, Pastor. That's the OJs. But it is so true. For the love of money, people will steal from their mother, people will rob their own brother, they will do anything because the love of money has ruined many lives. So the Apostle Paul was writing to Timothy saying, as you lead this church, make sure that you teach the people what it means to be content with what they have. Teach the people not to love money. And then he transitions in verses 17 through 19 to telling Timothy about how he should handle rich people in his church. How do you talk to, how do you minister to rich people? And so that's what we're going to talk about today, verses 17, 18, and 19 in 1 Timothy chapter 6. So I have entitled this, again, Lifestyles of the rich, whom we are the rich, but of the rich and faithful, not famous. Because when you stand before God, God is, doesn't care about how many social media followers you have. He's not going to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You have over 100,000 followers on Instagram. Well done, come into my kingdom. No. He's going to say, well done, based on how faithful you were 
to carry out the things he's called you to do. And one of the things that he wants us to be faithful in is how we handle material possessions, how we handle money, how we handle the blessings of God. Do we squander it? Are we selfish with it? Or are we faithful with it? Lifestyles of the rich, us, and faithful, I hope that's us. I hope that we are faithful. So let's look at verses 16 and 17. I'm going to read the entire passage to you all, and then we're going to come back with four things to pull out of these profound verses. Let's look at the entire thing. First Timothy, I'm going to be reading from the NIV translation, verses 17 through 19, actually. It's verses 17 through 19 in chapter 6 of First Timothy. It says, command those who are rich in this present world. Right there, he's talking about us. He's talking about the people who were living during those times, but he's saying if you are rich in this present world, which presupposes that you can be rich in this present world and poor in eternity. You can be rich here on earth, but not rich in spiritual things. So he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Then he goes on to say, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I love that. Then he goes on to say, command them, not suggest Not to hint at the rich people. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Then he goes on to say, lastly, in this way, they, meaning rich people, will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. I'm going to talk about that so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. What a powerful passage. Now, the Apostle Paul did not say, command those who are rich to stop being rich. There's nothing wrong with enjoying, as you're going to see, God's blessings. There's nothing wrong with being rich. But there are certain responsibilities that go along with being rich. So I believe Paul's theology of wealth can be summed up in these few words. Look at this. To whom much is given, much is required. That's simple. To whom much is given, much is required. So the more God blesses you, the more that is, the more rather is required of you from a faithfulness standpoint. So let's talk about some of the responsibilities, you all, of the rich. I want to pull out four things that I'm calling responsibilities of rich church folks. 
Because remember, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to Pastor Timothy, and he's telling him to command these people, the church, to tell the people in the church this. Number one, the first responsibility of the rich is to clothe yourself with humility, not haughtiness. Clothe yourself. Put on clothes of humility, not haughtiness, arrogance. You know, sometimes certain clothes make us feel a certain way. You know, when you put on some nice threads, some nice designer threads, you just walk different. You just feel different about yourself. But if you put on something really cheap, it doesn't feel good. And, and, and it's something sometimes happens to our self-esteem if we know we got cheap clothes on. And so the, the lesson here is, is he's telling him to tell your people to put, to clothe yourself, we're going to talk about that, with humility, not haughtiness, not arrogance, not pride. Why is that? Because one of the greatest temptations of the rich is arrogance. Money and material possessions tend to puff people up. The more money people get, the greater the temptation is to be haughty, to be arrogant, to be uppity. And so he's warning Timothy, make sure you tell your people this because this is important. All right, let's look at verse 17 in 1 Timothy 6, 17, the first part of it. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Isn't that an interesting command? Don't be arrogant. They must have been a fairly affluent church because Paul was concerned about these people becoming arrogant. Maybe this was the kind of church that you pulled into and you looked in the parking lot and you saw Tesla chariots, (laughs) Mercedes-Benz, chariot. You saw Gucci sandals and Versace tunics that people had on. It had to be an affluent church because he's he's telling them, make sure you tell the rich people this. So it begs the question, how do you keep from becoming arrogant? How do you clothe yourself with humility? Well, one of the reasons this is important, and I purposely use the word clothe, is because in 1 Peter 5, 5, it's also, humility is also described as a person putting on clothes. Look, look at this. In 1 Peter 5, 5, it says, all of you, That's all of us. This is everybody, not just the rich. Clothe yourselves with humility. In other words, put on humility. It's something that you have to intentionally do, especially when you are well off. And it says, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but he shows favor. And some versions say he gives grace to the humble. 
So if you want God's grace, you have to be humble. Say humble. So God opposes, puts the hand out, says, I don't like that when we are arrogant, when we are proud. And one of the things that makes people proud is riches, success. The very things that a lot of us experience, we have to make sure that we don't become proud, that we must be humble. Now, I could do a whole message on what humility is, but let me tell you this. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Did y'all catch that? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. So humility doesn't mean you beat yourself down, that you don't think you can do things, that, that you don't have any confidence in the God in you or what God can do through you. Humility just means you don't always think about yourself. Well, what are you thinking about? You're thinking about others, how you can bless others, how you can sacrifice for others, how you can use what you have for others. That's what determines whether or not you're humble. One of the greatest passages in the Bible on humility is Philippians chapter 2. It talks about the, the humility of Christ, how he humbled himself and became a man, but, but not just becoming a man, how he died on the cross for us when he did not have to do that. So humility, you all, is doing stuff for others, giving of yourselves. How about this? Giving of your stuff, sharing your stuff, sharing your influence, not just for you, but for other people. So when is the last time you've given some of your blessings away to somebody else? So the possessing of material wealth ought to humble a person it ought to humble a person. It ought to cause a person to glorify God, not himself. But here's the problem. When a lot of people become successful, they tend to get spiritual amnesia. And they forget where their blessings come from. Yes, they, they, they start looking in the mirror, look what I did. And so you have to be very careful, ladies and gentlemen. It's like the lady who won the lottery, and uh, she had been married for many, many years, and she came home. She said, I won the lottery. She said, oh, my God, we're rich. I won the lottery. She said, I need you to pack your bags. She told her husband, I need you to pack your bags. He was so excited. He said, where are we going to go? Do you want me to pack for warm weather, or do you want me to pack for, uh, for cold weather? How do you, how do you want me to pack? Because he's thinking, I'm going on a vacation. We're getting ready to go to the Bahamas. We're getting ready to go to Alaska. Do you want me to pack for warm weather, cold weather? She said, neither one. I want you to pack your bags and get out of here. In other words, I don't need you anymore. And that's how people are. So you have to be careful about this money thing. Randy Alcorn, author of a book called Money, Possessions, and Eternity, 
made an incredible statement in his book. He said 95% of people can pass the test of adversity. So people who go through stuff, 95% of them can pass the test of adversity. But 95% of people flunk the test of prosperity. So in other words, when people get stuff, that will test you. That will test your spiritual life more than anything. So the first responsibility is to clothe ourselves with humility. And how about this? Every one of us, we know ourselves. So just because you have money doesn't mean you can do what you want to do with the money. Because you might be able to have those choices, but some of those choices may not be wise for you. Because it might be a distraction for you to drive around in a Ferrari. That, that could be literally, if you could afford it, that could be a distraction for you. So we have to continually humble ourselves, clothe ourselves with humility. Number two, in order to be rich church folks, the second responsibility is we must anchor our faith, anchor your faith in God, not your money. Anchor. And anchor keeps you stable. And we have to make sure that our life is based on God, not our stuff. Not our money, not our jobs, not our house, not our cars, not our clothes, not our wardrobe. We must be anchored in God. Because all that stuff can go away. And it will never bring you true happiness. So you must anchor your life in God. Let's talk about this. Let's look at verses, verse 17 again. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. We talked about that. And then he says, nor to put their hope in wealth. Which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, put your hope. A lot of people hope they can be happy, so they buy stuff, hoping this would bring them happiness and contentment. And so what he's saying is you're going to be disappointed. You have to put your hope in God. And by the way, just because you come to church doesn't mean, I'm, I'm, that's, I'm glad you're here, I'm glad you're watching us online, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you are putting your hope in God. So putting your hope in God is that means you trust God with the results. That means you, you hold what you have with an open hand, not a closed fist. And you say, God, everything that I have belongs to you. We must put our hope in God. One of the greatest temptations of the rich is to put their hope in their finances, to put their hope in financial security. Before I became a pastor for 25 years, one of my jobs was to make people rich. I was an investment advisor, and my 
job was to pick stocks and bonds and mutual funds and other kinds of investments and, and for those investments to go up in value and to make people rich. But one of the ways that I could tell if people had their trust in money was how they reacted when the stock market declined. Because everybody was happy when the stock market was going up. But I could always tell who had their trust in money when the stock market declined. I would look at how they would respond. Likewise, how do you know if you put your hope in money or God? Well, when something happens to your money or something happens to your stuff, how do you respond? Do you get depressed when you park your car and somebody comes by and they open the door and put a little dink in your door? Do you cuss that person out? <laughs> Do you go home and like, oh, my God. Y'all, I remember one day I, had, I just got a fairly new car. And I went to Kroger. And it was early in the morning and there were very few cars in the parking lot. True story. And so out of all of these spaces, I choose to go in a space right under a tree, you know, and I knew nobody was going to park by me because after all, there were at least a hundred more spaces. All of a sudden, a minivan comes right beside me, full of children. <laughs> out of all the places this lady could have parked, you're going to park right next to me. And they open the door, and she opens the door, actually, and boom, hits my car. I got up. <laughs> I looked at her, and I, I, I just said, I just looked at her, I just showed her the parking lot. Like, like, <laughs> and I guess the expression on my face, and then I saw the little kids running out of the car, and I said, Bless the Lord, lady. Praise the Lord. But it really wasn't a bless the Lord. I wanted to give her a piece of my mind. But in that moment, God reminded me, doesn't this car belong to me? Aren't you just a steward of this? Are you going to let this upset you for the rest of, rest of your day? You see, oftentimes, y'all, we are tested when something happens to our stuff. That really shows where our hearts lie. Look at Proverbs 23.6. Look at what the proverb says. It says, in the blink of an eye, wealth disappears, for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. So that stuff we have, we have to make sure that we don't get too attached to it. Number three. The third responsibility of rich folks, I love this one, is to delight yourself in God's provision. In other words, be happy with the stuff that God give you, gives you. It's okay to enjoy it. It's okay to enjoy that house. It's okay to enjoy that car. It's okay to enjoy whatever God has blessed you. You don't have to be guilty about it. 
One of the temptations of rich people, people like us, is either we overindulge in what we have and think we achieved it, or we feel guilty about it. And so we're supposed to delight in God's provision. Let's look at 1 Timothy 6, 17. It says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Then it goes on to say, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything, say everything, Everything. for our enjoyment. Isn't that awesome? So when God provides you with something, it says he doesn't just provide for us, he can richly provide us. That means he can give us more than enough, more than enough, with everything for our enjoyment. So it is nothing wrong with enjoying the blessings of God. Then lastly, the third responsibility of rich folks, and this one is so important, and it is this, to be a river of generosity, not a reservoir of blessings. I'm going to explain that. A river has channels that flow into other streams of water. In fact, there are rivers that flow into lakes, into seas, and even into oceans. Rivers. Reservoirs just hold stuff. They don't have any any outlets. Reservoirs just contain something. So, be a river of generosity. Are you a river or are you a reservoir of God's blessings? Let's look at 1 Timothy 6.18. Command them, talking about rich people, talking about us, command them to do good. To be rich in good deeds. You all ought to be looking for people to bless. Especially during this time of the year. In fact, I want to challenge you to bless somebody's family over the Thanksgiving or Christmas holidays. Just look for somebody to bless. Be, do some random acts of good deeds for people. He says, be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. Then he goes on to say, in this way, they, meaning rich people, will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. He's talking about heaven. So there is a proverbial bank of heaven. We know about the bank here on earth where we put our money in earthly things. But as I said last week, you don't want to be rich in earthly possessions and poor toward God. So he says... Lay up a treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they 
may take hold, meaning they, rich people, you can take hold of the life that is truly life. He's talking about a spiritual vitality, a spiritual life. In other words, just having stuff, that's not the life. Now, you can have stuff, but if you don't have Jesus with your stuff, then you don't have true life flowing through your veins. So my question to you is, do you have life? Here is what the Apostle Paul is really trying to tell us today as I come to a close. Look at this. The rich don't have to take a vow of poverty. But they should take a vow of generosity. So it's okay to have stuff. It's okay to enjoy things that God has blessed you with. I hope you enjoy it as long as you share it. As long as you take a vow of generosity. So one of the best prayers you can pray is not necessarily God bless me. It is God, bless me, and if you bless me, here's what I'm going to do with this blessing. So my question to you is what are you doing with what God has blessed you with? How are you using the things that he's given you for his glory? So I want you, over the next few weeks, to make sure that you are generous, to make sure that you are sharing, to make sure that you are making somebody else's life better, to make sure that you are sacrificing for somebody else. It might be a family member. It might be a friend. It might be a neighbor. It might be a total stranger. I want you to be intentional about being a blessing. Then you'll be able to say, I'm rich and I'm faithful. I may not be rich and famous, but I'm rich and faithful. So I want to pray for you today. This is not a jump up and down type of message. This is something that I want you to get in your spirit that you can live out. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you thanking you for so many blessings that you have given us. Lord, it is by your grace that we are saved. It is by your grace that we have what we have. Not by our own goodness, not by our own efforts, not by our own ingenuity and wisdom, but by your grace. So Lord, I'm praying that you will help us to be a blessing as we are blessed by you. Help us to be faithful with what you've given us. Now, Lord, as all heads are bowed, all eyes closed, if you're saying, Pastor Lee, I want to give my heart to Jesus. I want to give those of you a chance to make a commitment to Christ. And so I want to say a prayer. And if I want everybody to repeat this prayer, and this will help those who may be saying it, for the first time. Repeat after me. Dear Lord, I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins so that I 
could be forgiven and be saved. You said if I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, then I will be saved. So right now, I confess that Jesus is Lord, that he rose from the dead. May his Holy Spirit come live inside of me right now and change me and make me a new person. In Jesus' name. With all heads bowed, all eyes closed, if you said that prayer, and you're saying, I want to give my heart to Jesus. I meant that. I said that prayer. I want to rededicate my life to the Lord. I'm not going to ask you to come down. I just want to ask you to raise your hand right where you are so we can just see where you are and we'll make sure that we get to you. Okay, raise your hands high. I see, I see some hands. Amen. Father, I thank you for these people who are making a commitment to you. And we ask, oh God, that you do a great work in their life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Come on, let's give God praise, everybody. Welcome back. We hope you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like more information about Pastor Lee or Eagles Nest Church, visit our website at eaglesnestchurch.org. That's all one word, eaglesnestchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay connected with us throughout the week. If you're ever in the Atlanta area, we'd love for you to worship with us on Sundays at 9 or 11 a.m. in Roswell, Georgia. Until next time, Eagles.